0: Hey guys, it's uh, Duncan here, the hairy old bull physio and we have our hairless young bull physio, Ollie. Um, we're back this week after you've heard Jackie for the last couple of weeks interview some other specialists in their field, but we're really, really excited today um, to be interviewing Dr. Stuart McKenzie. Now, Stuart's an orthopedic surgeon um, who specializes mostly in uh, knees and hips. Um, and personally, I'm, I'm really looking forward to taking away some, some pearls of wisdom. So I'll hand over quickly to Stuart. Um, do you want to give us a, a little quick rundown of why you became a surgeon and kind of what you really love about, about doing surgery and, and helping people now?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I decided pretty early on in my time at
0: um, medical school that I wanted to do surgery
1: um, because you know, I like the practical aspect of it, the actual operating, it's a very very practical specialty, obviously. Um, and it's much more concrete in terms of being able to see a direct line from what you do to a, a positive outcome for a patient. Um, obviously, all of medicine is very important, but I find uh, the specialties where you're changing people's uh, medications around, although it makes an obvious difference, it's, it, it's harder both for me and for the patient to see that difference. Whereas if someone comes in with a really badly arthritic hip and they're struggling to walk and I can do a hip replacement for them and six weeks later they're walking normally and completely pain-free, there's a very clear pathway from problem to solution. And I find that very rewarding.
0: Yeah, nice. I can definitely see that. I think, um, I don't know, Ollie, it's probably fairly similar for us as physios as well. It's a very much more practical kind of health profession. So definitely resonate there.
2: Yeah, I can really relate to the uh, feeling of results, uh, particularly in, with regards to pain. Somebody comes to you with a lot of pain, it's obviously affecting their life. And uh, if you can turn them around, however long that may take, whether it's one surgery or a course of physio treatment, then um, it's really rewarding. So, yeah.
1: Absolutely. You change people's lives, which is...
2: Yeah,
0: really satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in relation to that, where we just, where all you just mentioned, uh, either a surgery or a course of physio, um, helping someone get out of pain. This might be actually a really nice segue into um, what we're, we're going to talk about today, which is um, the non-operative kind of treatments for arthritis pain in hip and, and knee joints. So, um, I was I was talking to a to a patient of mine the other day, in her in her mid fifties, um, some hip pain, groin pain, that kind of thing, and um, she was very sceptical, very scared. Firstly, um, of of surgery, which is quite common. Understandable. Yeah, um, it, it's a big thing, but um, often, and, and I think in terms of all surgeries, Stuart, you can obviously add a little bit more here, but in terms of surgery, surgeries and surgical outcomes, hip replacements are, are right up there in terms of the evidence for for improving um, pain, and improving outcomes. Is that right? Yeah, so hip and knee replacements are both extremely good operations for the
1: right person, um, but hip replacement is probably the most successful operation that's ever been um, invented, really. Um, so the, the only other one that competes with it for that title would be um, the treatment of uh, uh, eyes, some of the, the surgeries that the, the eye doctors do. Um, yeah, hip replacement has been described as being um, the best operation ever conceived and Um, In fact, one of the big medical journals, um, The Lancet, described it as being the operation of the century in their sort of end of 21st century um, edition. So um, it's not without central risks as any surgery is, but the the risks are uncommon. And when it goes well, which it does 99% of the time, it's an absolutely life-changing operation. Um, And many people end up completely pain-free, and as if they've never had a problem with their hip and day to day, they don't think about the fact that they ever had hip arthritis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've seen multiple, multiple um, cases of that both my grandparents and actually that Lancet um, article that you just mentioned there, that was the the thing re- ringing in the back of my mind where I had, had read that about the, the surgery, the best surgery ever conceived. Um, but it, obviously patients still have concerns. And like you just mentioned, sometimes um, surgery isn't, the best option, or we can prolong um, the need for surgery for some point in the future and whatnot. What are um, some of the the things that you would look for if you you were not going to offer surgery to someone? So I couldn't agree
1: more. I think um, our philosophy should always be to only use surgery when we've exhausted all non-operative treatments um that we think might be helpful um because at the end of the day um any operation has risks and um operations also don't last forever these days they tend to last very well but they can fail and need to be redone so we wait until people really don't have any other options before we consider surgery Um, and so you see lots of patients come through you probably see even more than me lots of patients come through who have arthritis and have pain but aren't at that point where they're ready for surgery yet and want options for other things that they can use um, for treatment. Um, And there are lots and lots of different treatments out there. Everyone will tell you different things and lots of people wanting to sell you things. And some of them work and a lot of them don't. Um, And some of them are dangerous and some of them are just harmless but don't work. Um, So when people come in and I have the discussion before offering someone surgery, that there are, there are five treatments that are evidence-based, proven with good studies that are good treatments for osteoarthritis, and it's the same for both the hip and the knee. And anything other than those five things probably doesn't work. Um, so the five things that work um, in patients who need it, weight loss, um, keeping moving, active, fit, going physiotherapy um, is really useful in maintaining, or both in pain relief and maintaining function. Um, so that, that's definitely important. Um, avoiding things that hurt. You know, if there are particular movements, particular activities that people are doing regularly that cause them a lot of pain or cause them to have a lot of pain afterwards, try and avoid doing those things. For example, younger patients may be running and which is a pretty bad um, form of exercise for patients who've got significant arthritis. They're better off swimming or cycling or, you know, and some certain things people do at work if they can avoid them or do things different ways can be helpful. Um, In terms of medication, um, the only medications that have really been proven to be useful are a group of medications called the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. That's things like Nurofen, Celebrex, Mobic. Um, Interestingly, lots of people take Panadol Osteo um, because they're told that they should, but there's pretty good evidence that it's not actually very useful. And and that goes for all Panadol and Paracetamol. Um, It's not particularly dangerous, so it's a fairly low risk intervention. So if people are taking it and find it helpful, I would encourage them to keep doing so. But I don't usually start people on that. And the fifth one is surgery. Um, so basically to recap, that if you, before surgery, everyone should have, if they can, if they need to lose weight, keep as fit and active as they can, avoid things that are particularly painful for them um, and have at least a trial of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to see if it helps and to see if they're able to tolerate the medications.
0: Yeah, perfect. I think um, that that rings very, very true. the The paracetamol things a big one. We we often talk about as well, and, and advise the same that you know, and, and that goes for back pain often as well, and other opiates and things. Um,
1: but such a widespread treatment, and lots of GPs will prescribe it. And as I said, the, the evidence is not very good for it, and the evidence is actually reasonably good that it's not that helpful. Yeah. But it's also not a particularly risk intervention so people are doing it
0: it's not the end of the world yeah absolutely and and that's um that's something uh that's worth perhaps considering is the placebo effect uh, and that kind of stuff if it's if it's not dangerous but that's a huge topic which we maybe we'll talk about another day um i know um just on relation to medications ollie you've got a question that they're not really medications but you had a patient i think last week the other day perhaps that that had some questions yeah. regarding that do you want to
2: yeah i mean it's it's very interesting you know talking about some of the things that are commonly um, described as treatments for arthritic pain that don't actually work and i noticed in some of the material that you gave us prior to this um podcast that a few of them included things like turmeric and fish oil, people, things that people often associated with pain relief or joint health. Do you want to talk a bit more about what your um, experiences with patients who are on those or have tried those those supplements before?
1: Yeah, so those sort of supplements, again, there's, there's lots of uh, information out there on the internet, people pushing them, people saying that they work, you can buy them in pharmacies. Um, but I'll, some of them have been reasonably well studied. Some of them haven't been studied very much at all. Um, The common ones which have been reasonably well studied are um, glucosamine, chondroitin. They're very common ones. And the studies have shown that they're no better than placebo. So again, they're very low risk, although not no risk. People can have life-threatening allergic reactions to glucosamine. Um, But if someone's been taking it for a period of time and they feel like it's working, it's probably pretty low risk for them. But the evidence is that it's probably no better than taking a sugar pill. turmeric. I actually tried to research this and I could only find one article on it. And that was an article in a, a journal called something like the Journal of Medical Food, um, which is sort of an alternative health type of journal. And even they concluded that that doesn't work for joint arthritis. Um, again, if people are taking it and feel like it's helping them, I, I don't tell them you have to stop it because it's a, it's a zero risk intervention. So if you, if you want to take it, it makes you feel good go for your life. Um, and those are the big ones. The fish oils fall in that similar category. There's not much evidence for them one way or the other. What evidence we do have suggests that they probably don't make any more difference
2: than taking a sugar pill, but they're probably harmless. Definitely. Yeah. I think that resonates with us too. I've had patients come to me and they say they're going to try turmeric and all these weird kind of things. And supplementations and they come back you know a few weeks later and I ask them if anything's changed and quite often in cases that things haven't changed um, yeah.
1: you get a few people who come in and swear by it and think, yes. it's, I think it's surprising the number of people I speak to who are taking glucosamine because someone told them to or taking Panadol because someone told them to and they've been taking it every day for months and when you ask them do you think it makes any difference they'll say no yeah,
2: they're they're looking for any kind of answer or any kind of solution to the pain. Right?
1: And so, if you're taking something that's not helping you,
0: feel free to stop. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a that's a big part that the three of us can play with patients as well is helping them because they're not trained on necessarily critical thinking and that kind of stuff like doctors are and and even to a degree physios are. Is is then maybe helping them guide? Well, hey, you can save some money here and not worry about purchasing all of that, even though it's it's not harmful.
1: Okay.
0: That um, is, if they feel like it is helping them, I don't you know, feel free to keep taking it as well. Yeah, hundred percent resonates with me particularly well. Let's talk maybe about um, some of the treatments that do have some risk that are that are non-operative, because I I had a patient probably I don't know maybe it was like three months ago. Her name is Mary and she'd read somewhere about stem cell therapy uh, for her hip OA and I was, I was actually trying to refer her to you but um, I don't know if she ever came to see you or not but she went to someone in Sydney about the stem cell which I did a little bit of research on and, and I'm not overly okay on the science with it. Um, so you're probably the, the better person to ask. What's, uh, what's the deal with, with that? Um, so you are au fait
1: with the science on stem cell injections because there is none. Okay. Um, the, it's something that's came into popularity about seven or eight years ago. I hadn't heard about it until I came back from my overseas training fellowships and there were some people talking about it and doing it. Um, and I, so I looked into it quite a bit because I thought, oh, maybe this is something I should be offering people. Um, and I don't know if you know the way it works. The, the way it works is that you get... Um, Uh, a liposuction done on your tummy and they take a bit of your belly fat and they spin it around in a centrifuge and they take some cells off the top of it, call them stem cells and inject them into your joint. Uh, The the science for that doesn't work for me. I won't go into the details of it, but needless to say, people might remember that there was a whole lot of controversy in the media 10 or 15 years ago about um, using fetal stem cells for research. Uh, If you could get stem cells out of your belly fat, we wouldn't have had to have that argument. Use <laughs> stem cells for research. Um, so I'm not convinced that what they inject into your knee is stem cells. Um, there's no evidence that injecting stem cells into your knee or hip will make your cartilage grow back, which is what the claim is. That's what the treatment's supposed to be. So osteoarthritis is loss of cartilage, and you're meant to inject these cells in, they turn into cartilage cells, and your cartilage grows back. Um, the, there's no evidence to support that. Uh, A number of the professional associations in Australia have come out and said that no one should be doing this outside of the research trial. Um, And I don't think it'll ever be shown to work. I know that I can take someone's own cartilage cells from their own cartilage, send them to a lab, grow those cartilage cells up so that we've got multiple of their own cartilage cells put them back into a defect in their knee and use some techniques to secure those cartilage cells back in that spot. And they won't take, they won't grow new cartilage um, and heal a cartilage defect. So I don't know if your cartilage cells won't work to do that. I don't understand why belly fat cells would. Um, So there's no science on it but the basic premise of it just doesn't add up at all. And it shouldn't be done outside of a research project. So, and it's horrendously expensive. People charge um, $10,000
2: or $12,000 to do it. There are some other injections that are uh, sort of buzzwords around the place. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about some of the other types of injections that you, you know of?
1: Yeah, so the, the other, t- you know, the, the three other popular groups of injections are platelet-rich plasma, um sort of yeah yeah yeah, prp um lubricant type injections so Synvisc and duralane are the two brand names of those um and steroid injections um i'll start with the the prp the platelet rich plasma um there's a big so there's no evidence that it works um and there's a, a bit of evidence that it doesn't work um, there's a big um, medical research group called the uh, Cochrane Collaboration, um, which do big research projects. They, they they look through all the evidence and re the numbers and provide summaries. And it's one of the most respected resources for doctors in the world. Um, I believe they're doing uh, another look into platelet-rich plasma at the moment. They tried to do it about 10 years ago, but they aborted their their project because they couldn't identify one single research study that they felt was good enough quality to review, to look at. Um, And PRP has been around for quite a long time now. Um, So people have been looking at it for a long time. So if there was quality research that showed it worked, that would have come to light by now, but it hasn't. So, and it's also moderately expensive um, and almost certainly doesn't work. Um, The other one, the Duralane Synvisc, Um, they also have um, good evidence that shows that they're no better than injecting water um, into the knee. So we know that they effectively don't work and they carry risks. You can get quite significant um, inflammatory reaction and it can actually make your knee a lot worse. Um, If you have those, you can react to the substance. As I said, it's no better than injecting water. The longest one, the one we've known about for the longest, been using for the longest Um, and is probably still the most commonly used is corticosteroid injections. And these are still used very commonly to treat lots of things. Um, I have to stress that I'm talking about hip and knee arthritis now. I I, I don't know the the research in other areas, but in hip and knee arthritis, steroid injection has been shown to be no more um, effective than injecting salty water, saline water into the knee. Um, But it comes at a significant price. Um, there's a significant risk uh, of getting an infection with a steroid injection. So if you have a steroid injection into a joint and then have a hip or knee replacement done within the next three months, we know that your risk of infection in in your hip or knee replacement is significantly increased. And our evidence now goes out to show that that actually carries out to 12 months after you've had your last injection, and it may last forever, that effect. So having a steroid injection... And that it's the same for the synvisc and duroane as well. So having those injections compromises your ability or the safety of doing a hip or knee replacement for you in future. Um, and that doesn't, that's not even if you necessarily have to get, you don't have to have an infection in your joint at the time of the injection. It's just a, if you've had an injection, then you have that risk. The other risk is that there is a risk of getting an infection in your joint at the time of the injection. Um, and we see around about 20 people a year at the John Hunter who come in with infected knees, who've got that infection because they've had an injection in their knee. Um, despite this it's still commonly used, um, even by some of my colleagues. Um, in fact, one of my, there's an orthopedic surgeon colleague of mine um, who has quite bad knee arthritis who, he's not a knee surgeon, but in all our meetings uh, for a number of years, um, he's been saying we're wrong to say that injections don't work because he gets them and he feels they make him better. And we've been saying, look, you're at risk. You're eventually going to need a knee knee replacement. You're making your risk higher. He's actually being treated at the moment for a really bad infection in his knee. Um, So he's had to have surgery for an infected knee. And if you then do a knee replacement after someone's had an infection in the knee, the that's a huge problem um the chance of that knee replacement failing in the first um couple of years is about a quarter um which is five times higher than i'd expect the
0: failure rate at 10 years to be yeah wow that's 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 quite significant especially for for a treatment modality that's very very common and something i wasn't overly aware of up until maybe about 12 months ago two years ago kind of thing as well so i think that's a, a big take home for for me and probably a lot of, a lot of the patients um, potentially listening um, as well. Yeah, so it's good to sort of clear the air on a few of those things because I think, you know, um, some patients who, who develop
2: this program, this sort of problem or arthritis in the hip, or well, the they, they go to Dr. Google and they find out all these buzzwords, and they don't quite understand what they mean or what the evidence is behind them.
1: And, and I, I put the injections in a different category to some of the other things we were talking about. So if, if you're taking glucosamine, probably not going to do you any harm if you're taking panadol it's not going to do you any harm but in so i tell people yeah keep going but injections are, are, are more dangerous than they are helpful so i, I never do them anymore um, and i very strongly discourage patients from having other people do
2: yeah perfect that sounds really good yeah, cool we might wrap episode one up here um, with you sure is there any sort of final
0: thoughts duncan no i um i think a couple of couple of takeaways for me were definitely um around that that cortisone injection uh, that we talked about um the glucosamine and things that conversation will definitely help me um, have those conversations with patients more confidently as well um anything anything for you yeah well everything is obviously really helpful um, and i think for patients listening to this who are
2: going through that process going to learn about their pain and about the the problem that they might be having and the people who need any kind of information is helpful and particularly when it comes from verified sources like yourself so really appreciate you jumping on the podcast
1: i think the big three the big things to take away uh, are hip and knee replacement are excellent operations if you need them but try other things first um so you should have tried non-operative treatments first but focus on ones that work like the like physio losing weight keeping active and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories rather than the other ones
0: well thanks for joining us today Stuart and um, we will have you back on we're doing a little series with Stuart at the moment Um, so keep listening over the next couple of weeks and and you'll hear some other really cool subjects that we're going to talk about thanks very much my pleasure